We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you're not the better team, when you're playing on the road, and you have an opportunity to go for two and win the football game, I think it's the right decision. And making the call to throw it up to Crab uh, again, will go down as one of the better Raiders games of the recent era. It's September 2016, Raiders at Saints. This is Remember That Game, a podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Semerick, and my guest is Austin Gale, who at the time of this recording in 2020 was with PFF and doing the Two for One Drafts podcast. He's now with The Ringer and Spotify as audience engagement manager and on football podcasts from The Ringer. And let's join the programming with whether Austin was bought in with the 2016 Raiders entering week one. I was not. I mean, this was a Raiders team. And to give a little background on myself, uh, before I you know, ended up working in football and doing all that, I, I had you know season tickets to Raiders games with my dad from 2008 to, I want to say, 2012, 2013, when I went off to college to San Diego State. And Man, like this, this, this was a Raiders team that had not won a season opener in a very long time, and it honestly was a big, it was a big difference maker this year. You know, winning that opening game, and I think as a Raiders fan then, I mean, I think I've become less of a fan as I become more of an analyst. But as a Raiders fan then, it felt like a change. It felt like a difference in that team, and obviously that was one of the best you know Raiders seasons we've seen from that team in a long time. And they went off to win a lot of football games that year, but it felt like a difference. And Jack Del Rio is you know kind of ended up derailing out of that Raiders job. I mean, he said you know 2015 was the year where we got close and won some games, and he said in 2016 it was how we finished games, and they finished that game obviously with a W. And Derek Carr that season. Seven game-winning drives, seven fourth-quarter comebacks, second to only Matthew Stafford that season, who put up a ridiculous eight. Did you see a different Derek Carr this season in 2016? I mean, that's the Derek Carr everyone wants. That's the Derek Carr that everyone looks back to and says, can he be that? People were talking, before he obviously broke his leg, I think it was Christmas Eve of that year, people were talking about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate, potentially even a front runner. He had, I think, seven or eight comeback wins that year, the pinky game against the Carolina Panthers. They broke the record for most penalties in a win against Tampa Bay on his back, winning a lot of games in the fourth quarter. Obviously, to come back in so many games, you need to be losing in so many games. So you obviously saw that from them. And comeback wins are very volatile year over year. It's hard to keep that sustained. But it was easily 
easily the most fun to watch, for lack of a better way of phrasing, the most fun to watch season this Raiders team has had since the Super Bowl, honestly. And going through that long playoff drought from 2002 to 2016, how did that change and and affect expectations or just the willingness to get excited about this game week one going to New Orleans? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that you know built up excitement for the 2016 season, and there wasn't necessarily as high of expectations as it was like 11, 12 wins, and potentially you know the first playoff, you know, postseason appearance in a while. It was the consistency at the quarterback position for the first time. The in a long time, the Raiders were going into a season with a quarterback that had started more than 30 games. You know, in previous before Derek Carr, it was a combination of you know um, Matt Flynn, you know J- Jason Campbell, Bruce Gretkowski. Um, I'm losing names at this point. Tuiasa Sopo started a couple games. Jamarcus Russell, Andrew Walter, Kerry Collins, one of the McCowns, maybe even both. I mean, there were so many different quarterbacks starting for the Raiders after the Rich Gannon era that to see a quarterback that started all of 2015 and all of 2014 enter a season, his third year, obviously that big jump year for the quarterback to come in and play as well as he did was super impressive and super encouraging. Bruce Gradkowski of NFL and PFF fame. Um, I read this article written by a longtime PFF collaborator, Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap. Uh, he wrote this the 2016 offseason and said, the Raiders have been one of the most unique case studies, not just in the NFL, but perhaps all of sports. As an outside observer, it really feels like taking a franchise from scratch and completely starting over. Now, McKenzie... Uh, General Manager Reggie McKenzie and the Raiders emerged from cap hell in the early part of the last decade and put themselves in position to spend this 2016 offseason. What do you think of their approach to 2016 free agency and the draft? I mean, I remember it pretty vividly. I mean, Reggie McKenzie did not want any dead money on the books. He was he was did the best job he could to get out of so much dead contracts and, you know, cutting veteran players, moving on from players that were obviously on the books for too much dead money and trying to, you know, make decisions that, you know, good decisions in free agency. And you saw that for the better part of Reggie McKenzie's tenure as the Raiders GM. I still feel like he did a very good job. He hit on one draft and then in drafts after that struggled to kind of rekindle those flames. But the 2014 draft obviously was an impressive one. And then after that, I think free agency putting together very good, competent contracts while avoiding dead money was the way to go. It was the way to add talent and make sure that you're, you know, approaching the season, you know, appropriately. I mean, Rodney Hudson was brought in in the Reggie McKenzie era. Bruce Irvin had good play opposite of Khalil Mack in that season. I, I think, again, he did a very good job. Coleccio Semele, another guy to think about. I mean, he did a very good job of bringing in veteran talent that was going to live up to expectations. Yeah, and you have a lot of big debuts this day in New Orleans. Sean Smith, Coleccios, as you mentioned, Osemele, Reggie Nelson coming over from the Bengals. Bruce Irvin begins the game with a strip sack on Drew Brees. How indicative were their performances of the rest of their time with the Raiders? I mean, it was. I mean, you know, they were, I think it was called the Smash Bros or whatever it may be, or Slash Bros. I think they were playing off the Golden State Warriors with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Like Bruce Irvin and Khalil Mack were a dominant force. It was easily Bruce Irvin's career year playing opposite Khalil Mack in 2016. They definitely lived up to expectations. Bruce Irvin forcing a ton of fumbles. Khalil Mack obviously, you know, continues to be one of the more dominant edge defenders. It was a defense that 
rushed the passer very effectively and honestly won a lot of football games with their ability to get after the quarterback and bail out what was a very shaky secondary. Sean Smith was getting burnt in 2016, okay? Sean uh-huh. Smith's debut wasn't great. Like, Brandon Cooks handed it to him on a handful of reps in that game, if I recall correctly. But Osemele, Reggie Nelson, again, struggled on the back end. I mean, the secondary was still an issue for, and a big reason why they trailed in so many fourth quarters, giving up big plays in the passing game. But up front... You think about Bruce Irvin, Khalil Mack, and that defense up front. Again, it was really impressive and applied pressure on the quarterback. Do you think not having Mario Edwards Jr. and Eldon Smith, two players that had the potential of being part of the 2016 picture, Edwards injured before the season and uh, Eldon Smith suspended, uh, do you think they would end up missing that additional pass rush as part of that rotation? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Mario Edwards Jr., I mean, second-round pick out of Florida State, still at this point in time had a, you know, a lot of potential. People felt that you know what you saw from him in limited sample size, that he could be a consistent interior pass rusher. So I think there was belief that he'd be dominant as a rotational player for that Raiders defense. And Alden Smith, like, Alden Smith still owns the single-season rookie pass rushing grade record dating back to 2006. That's how good this guy was coming mm-hmm. out um, as a rookie early in his career. Obviously, off-field concerns have kind of derailed his potential, but Alden Smith went on the football field when healthy mentally and physically was as dominant of an edge rusher as there is in the NFL, a freaky athlete by every sense of the word, and obviously there was concern not having him on the football field. And yeah, you have Eldon Smith cross the bay with the Niners, one of many people that would have Niners Raiders crossover, including defensive coordinator Ken Norton wins the Super Bowl with the Niners in the 90s. And then, yeah, works with Pete Carroll and USC and Seattle before coming to the Raiders as defensive coordinator. Sean Smith getting caught a couple of times this game uh, with the Raiders in a cover three look. He just couldn't cover, you know, Brandon Cooks down the sideline on that 98-yard touchdown, or not even being able to carry Willie Sneed up the field. Do you feel like there was a, a tension between Ken Norton figuring out how much Seattle system to bring to Oakland and the type of personnel he had? I think so. I mean, I think it was personnel. That was the problem. The Raiders secondary hasn't had dominant players on the back end. And it's a big reason why they drafted Carl Joseph, I believe, in 2015 or 2016. It's a big reason why they drafted Garyon Conley in years after that. They continued to throw Obi Melifanu. They continued to throw resource at the cornerback and defensive back, you know, defensive backfield because it was they had no good personnel. I mean, they did not have speed, talent, athleticism on the back end. And again, It's a huge reason why this Raiders team was trailing in so many fourth quarters. They could not stop the pass. Gave up a ton of big plays, a lot of pass interference penalties on the back end. And I think this Raiders, obviously Derek Carr injury, if that doesn't happen, and if they were able to kind of hit home on just some of the picks they made in the defensive backfield, like I think you see more success from this Raiders team. Like Again, Ken Norton Jr. deserved some blame in that situation. It was not a good defense, and I think you know, years after the 2016 season, you wanted to see similar production, but just didn't. But again, the personnel in the secondary was flat out bad, and that made things very difficult for that team. In 2015, under Norton, they were 10th in net yards allowed per attempt, 13th in PFF coverage grade, 10th in pass rush in 2015. 
2016, they make these free agent additions. Or during the game, the announcers, uh, Chris Myers and Rondi Barber, are remarking how the secondary's uh, really improved unit by what they did in free agency. But in, in 16, those numbers go from the pass rush goes up with uh, Bruce Irvin there, fifth in pass rush, but 19th in coverage grade and last in net yards allowed per attempt. Do you think Sean Smith and Reggie Nelson, who had good years relative to their teammates in 2016 and relatively good careers, why do you think they struggled this game and why they ended up regressing in 2017? Honestly, it's age, man. I mean, both those players were on the older side and both of them already had speed concerns going into that year. And I think you just saw like speed on the back end is so important. Like you have to be able to run with people, especially as receivers get faster and faster every year. Like the, when you give up big plays on the back end with as good of a pass rush as the Raiders had, you have to look at the backfield specifically as the athleticism and speed as concerns. And like, that's what you saw with Sean Smith and Reggie Nelson. I mean, this guy was getting put on burnt toast that entire, you know, that entire season and seasons after, like it was a, it was a concern with, you know, the type of players that they were trotting out at cornerback and safety. Yeah, and then the next week you have Smith on the outside against Julio Jones. It was always interesting watching like the All-22 and seeing where Nelson is positioning in relation to Smith and the guy who's guarding who's faster than Smith. In this game, Nelson would be would be feigning one side, and, and then they drop into three, and he'd try to catch up and get over top for Smith's guy, but it, it would be too late. Uh, against the Falcons next week, Nelson sprints over top of uh, Smith against Julio Jones, and Atlanta runs a slant. Julio takes it to the house with no one in the middle of the field and Smith just not fast enough. But um, the, the Raiders actually do manage an early lead in this game. You have a deep over to Amari Cooper, who had just come off of rookie season, leading all rookies in receptions. When you're seeing the type of kind of aesthetically pretty ball that Derek Carr throws and you're carving up a Saints defense on the road, going up by seven early in the first quarter, you have to be thinking about all the possibilities and how long you're going to have this connection in Oakland. Yo, 100%. I mean, Derek Carr's deep ball was as pretty as it gets. I mean, this guy really put the ball downfield with a ton of accuracy. Amari Cooper was as good as he is now. I'll say that. I've always been a big Amari Cooper stand. I, I think he's one of the more talented receivers. I think, you know, looking back at you know his tenure, going from Alabama and the facilities he had in Alabama and then going to the Oakland Raiders, arguably the worst facilities in the NFL, I think that was a culture change for him that maybe he wasn't prepared for, something that definitely affected his production and his motivation. But when hands down, motivation aside, this guy's one of the most talented receivers in the NFL, and you saw that connection with Derek Carr and Amari Cooper and Amari Crabtree. I mean, not Amari Crabtree. Michael Crabtree's one of his best seasons was that year as well. Derek Carr was aggressive in 2016 he took the top off they took shots with bill musgrave as the offense coordinator yes he checked down the ball a lot still but again his average depth of target was up there with the best in his career because before that injury he was a lot more aggressive with the football throwing down the football field with his first and second read at a rate we still haven't seen uh since at breeze and car going back and forth early on latavius murray's six yard rush you go into the second quarter up 10-3 i showed a friend where the game was at, at that point i just said hey it's it's week one 2016 he he bets on a lot of football he's familiar with the teams and then i said would it shock you to know the saints were only two and a half point favorites and he's like oh yeah the raiders had that 2016 season that was that was their year do you think these two franchises specifically had two of the most divergent paths from 2016. 
I think what it really shows, Thomas, honestly, is just how important the quarterback position is. I mean, mm. you a, a season can go from so much hope, so much potential, deep postseason run to absolute disaster if the quarterback you know play falls. And that's what you saw in 2017. Derek Carr was not the same quarterback under pressure or from a clean pocket. And you've seen that in years since, 2018, 2019, while – Drew Brees was hitting his stride. I mean, Drew Brees yeah. in New Orleans was, has still been one of the highest-graded quarterbacks over the past three or four years. Like, he continues to be as consistent as ever in the NFL. Like, you need high-end quarterback play year over year to be a consistent, dominant team in the NFL. That's not, that's not a hot take, man. I mean, that's not something that's crazy or coming from left field. That is just the fact of the matter. If you do not have consistent, high-end quarterback play, you are not going to consistently win football games. You need a quarterback like Drew Brees or Tom Brady earlier in his career, you know, Aaron Rodgers in 2016 and in 2015, like guys that come in every year and dominate, elevate their supporting cast. Derek Carr elevated the talent level of supporting cast. Seth Roberts almost went to the Pro Bowl that year, and he has struggled to be even close to as he's good as close oh, yeah. to was in 2016 crabtree had a career year amari cooper played extremely well that offensive line was elevated with donald penn and Derek carr elevated his supporting cast in 2016 he has yet to do that since that was a really great four-fifths of an offensive line typically for the raiders in that stretch donald penn at left tackle um, gabe jackson moved from left guard to right guard for the season they brought they bring in assembly at left guard Rodney Hudson, who consistently grades as you know, PFF's best pass-blocking center. Kind of a revolving door at right tackle. Today, they ended up having a few right tackles. Austin Howard uh, out week one. Menelik Watson starts. He gets knocked out. Eventually, they move Donald Penn to right tackle. Assembly out to left tackle. Oddly, that's when the Raiders' offense catches a fire during this game. Do you think that this was probably the best environment from an offensive line perspective for a young quarterback to thrive? Yeah, I think it was a great offensive line. Obviously, right tackle was a weak link, but I mean, Donald Penn was having a ton of success. Rodney Hudson, Coleccio Semele, Gabe Jackson healthy, like, and they had depth along the interior, I believe. I, I think this, again, that right tackle position, they had to protect it. They had, you know, Austin Howard battled injuries that year. I know Menelik Watson um, did not live up to, you know, the billing as a second round pick. But again, I think that offensive line was one of the best, but they've continued to invest in the offensive line and had success there. You know, like, Colton Miller has, you know, turned in average play since being drafted in the first round, and that's enough at tackle. And then you look at Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson, both very consistent players when healthy. Like, this has been enough. And Richie Incognito was a good signing in hindsight. Like, they've done a good job of late investing in the offensive line. The problem is, is like, Derek Carr from a clean pocket has not taken advantage of that offensive line. His average depth of target in 2017, 2018, 2019 from a clean, from a clean pocket ranks inside the bottom five among mm. – um, qualifying quarterbacks like you have to take advantage of clean pockets you have to push the ball down the football field when you're working from a clean pocket or else you're not going to get those big plays because i'll tell you right now the big plays aren't coming when you're under pressure that's where you're checking it down that's where you're you know finding your hot hot route and those things in a clean pocket you need to be finding the vertical threat finding the big play opportunity and, and delivering a strike yeah late in the first half Oakland down 17 to 10. Uh, they have a third and 11. Derek Carr checks down in less than three seconds before pressure is really that close. Checks down two yards as the running back. Do you think the, or the Raiders organization or even players uh, like Derek Carr appear to be reacting to any lessons from this period? Or does it feel like a, 
more of a blank slate starting with the Gruden hire. Definitely a blank slate. Like, I mean, I think moving on from Jack Del Rio and the rest of that coaching staff, I mean, right after that season, I believe they moved on from Bill Musgrave. I mean, they had the best season you've seen in a long, long time, and the offense coordinator was cut loose. Like, that that was a huge change for Derek Carr and company. Like, moving on from him was huge. And then, obviously, you move on from Jack Del Rio, I think, a year after that, and then you're getting into the John Gruden era. Like, it has not felt like 2016. I don't think there's not a lot of players on the team that are, yeah. uh, um, that played in that 2016 game, like Amari Cooper gone, Crabtree gone, Donald Penn, like a lot of leaders in that locker room are Khalil Mack. <laughs> a lot yeah. of leaders in that locker room are no longer there. I mean, Derek Carr, Rodney Hudson, um, those guys still there, Gabe Jackson, like there's still some of that core there. But again, I, I really do feel like this is a different Raiders team. It's a different offense, different management style, different coaching staff, different personnel. I think they're looking for clean slate. I think they're Derek Carr is in a position where he needs to, you know, put up or shut up really if they're, you know, if they're going to make some plays this year. Like again, it's I think it's clean slate trying to kind of build up new. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The only three starters remaining are Carr, Jackson, and Hudson. I like to find a thematic game to sprinkle in these episodes that tie back to the game and the franchises. And while watching this week one 2016 bout years later, I can't help but think the specter of John Gruden hanging over the Raiders. And when is he coming out of broadcasting to coach the Raiders again? which in 2017 would be on the mind of every Raiders fan. There tends to be deja vu with the Raiders over the years, hiring John Gruden, coming to Oakland, leaving Oakland. It's uncanny, and that's why I'm calling this game Deja Gru. A catchy name is one of the gambits I'm trying to draw on advertisers. Uh, gets me some sort of manscaping product to uh, introduce to my audience. These will all tie back to some sort of deja vu and and John Gruden, even if tangentially. And uh, I'll, I'll jump in and out of parts of the game. Uh, John Gruden hired as head coach of the Raiders in both 98 and 2018. And Musgrave would end up in Denver. He's been fired twice by the same head coach at different organizations. After 2004 with the Jaguars and after 2016 by the Raiders. 
Who is his head coach? Jack Del Rio. Yep. Leaves the Raiders shortly before Gruden joins in two completely different decades. Deja grew. Musgrave kind of forced out in a weird situation by Jack Del Rio, placed by his QB coach. With Musgrave in 2016, the offense coordinator helps uh, their quarterback to a career year, Derek Carr. In 1999, it's Gil Haskell with Steve Bierlein and the Panthers. Leads the NFL in passing yards that season. Bill Musgrave is the quarterback coach that season, and there's machinations with the coach and his relationship with George Seifert. They force out the offensive coordinator coming out of a career year for the quarterback. The quarterback's coach takes over. This would happen in 2016, but to Musgrave, when this Raiders quarterback's coach takes over for Musgrave as offensive coordinator in 2017. Todd Downing. Yep. What kind of impact do you think the move from Musgrave to Downing had on the development of Carr, <laughs> I mean, it was a disaster. I mean, it was it was it was one of the I mean, it was one of the biggest transitions. Honestly, they the the Raiders that year, if I remember correctly, 2017, the first year under Todd Downing as the offense coordinator. In weeks, I believe one through eight, they had the lowest percentage of play action passes PFF has ever seen. They were not running play action. They were not doing the little things. It just reeked of inexperience. I mean, there's a reason Todd Downing is the tight ends coach for the Tennessee Titans right now. It's, it's absurd that he was promoted so quickly and given, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime to be an offense coordinator, a very young offense coordinator in the NFL. And he just fell flat. Like he, you know, with all that pressure, with all of that responsibility fell flat, like just didn't do the little things, game planning, understanding strengths of that roster, understanding play calling and setting things up. Like you just did not see it. And it honestly, derailed any development that Derek Carr had. I mean, Bill Musgrave, 2016, Todd Downing, 2017. You obviously moved to Gruden after that. Like he has been through a lot of different offense coordinators, all very different in philosophy and experience. And I think that has written, in addition to the injury, I think the injury has had an impact on his mentality, but that has had a huge impact on his development for sure. Second quarter, the Saints really catch fire, turn a 10-3 deficit into a 24-10 lead by early third quarter. The announcers remarking early in the second quarter that they're waiting to see this Mike Thomas, who has been hyped, didn't have a catch in the first quarter. By second quarter, he gets his first career NFL reception and then runs kind of like a slant against Sean Smith, catches it, puts his foot in the ground, and beats Sean Smith up the sideline for another 20 yards. Uh, Do you remember at the time being uh, blown away or really excited by uh, what Thomas would show at the NFL level that day? A little bit. I I mean, going back to the, I I honestly did not expect Michael Thomas, I mean, I don't think anyone did, expect Michael Thomas to blow up to the receiver he is now. And I think you saw, I mean, it's the same, it's the same type of concepts that he's thriving on now. Like the short and intermediate level, Michael Thomas creates separation with the best of them. And you saw that in that game against bad competition in Sean Smith and company. But I did not, I don't, I didn't, I don't remember coming away from that game with that young player really surprised me. I think we're probably going to get to this later, but it was Jalen Richard. And his long touchdown that really sparked that comeback that really had me impressed in that game. The rookie, I believe, that year who you know broke off a long touchdown run to bring them back. That was the rookie or the young player I came away like, oh, man, this guy might be something. Yeah, Jalen Richard, fourth quarter, he would rip off a 75-yard touchdown rush. And in Dindeja Groove fashion, was used kind of similarly to Charlie Garner when he was with John Gruden in some ways. Garner actually ends up ripping off the 80-yard touchdown run to put away the 
2001 wild card against the Jets, Gruden's last playoff win as a Raiders coach. Thomas that day, six for six, 100% catch rate and around 10 yards per catch. Seems about right. Willie Sneed was really uh, tearing up the, the Raiders in the first half in almost a Thomas fashion. Uh, that season have a really high catch rate. Do you feel like one of the hugest things for Breeze's late career you know, further resurgence was having a player uh, like that Marcus Colston kind of role in uh, Thomas? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the receiving talent has helped him a ton. I mean, he lives to throw at the short and intermediate levels of the football field, has been one of the better short and intermediate accuracy quarterbacks over the past five, ten years. And I think having a, a receiver like Michael Thomas and Willie Sneed, who ended up, I think, earning a decent contract in free agency because of the work he did with the Saints, he had some impressive receivers that year. I mean, Brandon Cooks, I believe, was on that team as well. Like, he had a very good receiving core in 2016. On the other side of the ball, a, a crowded backfield, but each gives, as you mentioned, uh, something different. Uh, Jalen Richard was showing that long speed on the 75-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter. You have DeAndre Washington had a lot of hype early in 2016 as someone could, that could potentially take over for Murray, who had been the bell cow back the year prior. Jamise Oluwale got like a good uh, run-blocking grade in this game and picked up a short touchdown, so... Uh, them going to a wide uh, range of sources to get different things out of the backfield. How helpful do you think that was for a young quarterback like Derek Carr that day? And how, how much of it was the ethos of that team to have those four backs involved? Oh, it was huge. I mean, I, I know Musgrave loved involving the running backs and fullbacks. You know, he loved involving Ola Wale, Ola Wale, DeAndre Washington. I know had some reps in that game. Jalen Richard, Latavius Murray. Like he he liked involving running backs and fullbacks in the past. Taiwan Jones had had some play in that game. Like he really liked using you know, a wealth of running backs and fullbacks in the past, specifically in the passing game. And Ola Wale was like one of the better receiving fullbacks in the game that year like he was used very very effectively on wheel routes and coming out of the backfield also a very good blocker up front whether that be in pass protection or as a run blocker like I thought Ola Wale was going to continue to be you know featured in that year and he was kind of reminds of a, a Gruden team with the Eagles a little bit where they had uh, Ricky Waters that more of the bell cow back Charlie Garner working in there, and then Kevin Turner as primarily a receiving back. You could compare, I guess, Richard to Garner or Turner. Oh, and, and then they had Deuce Staley as well. Raiders are down going into the fourth quarter. The announcers are uh, remarking that Drew Brees has held up his end of the bargain, and a lot of people would be surprised by how the Saints defense is doing that day. N- you know, new secondary coach, uh, Aaron Glenn, and pass defense ends up uh, letting them down a little bit on or two of the scoring drives that happened in the fourth quarter but that 2017 draft for the Saints defense and in revamping that secondary with uh, Marcus Williams and Marcus or Marshawn Lattimore and all the pieces they added that year is that the best draft on the defensive side of the ball that you can remember for the Saints in 2017, I mean, that was such a good job of addressing a need and, and getting great players. Marshall Lattimore and Marcus Williams are two of the highest graded players at their position since being drafted in the NFL. So, I mean, I think that was a huge win. And the Saints have done a very good job at, at drafting over recent years. Ramcheck, I mean, maybe they kind of, you know, similar to Reggie McKenzie in 2014, like hit, you know, hit on a couple drafts and maybe stunk on others. Again, the draft is largely a crapshoot. But that 2017 draft, Marcus Williams, Marshall Lattimore, that is a huge win. 
another round of Deja grew. Saints secondary coach Aaron Glenn done a great job developing those players, took the job in 2016. He was in the Dallas Cowboys secondary in the early 2000s when Sean Payton was offensive coordinator, Bill Parcells was head coach. He's also with Parcells on the Jets and hung around until Parcells had left. And in 2001, they play the Raiders and John Gruden in the wild card. Again, that last Raiders playoff win with John Gruden. Aaron Glenn is beaten by Jerry Rice for the go-ahead score, Hall of Fame player. The Raiders had another Hall of Fame player on their defensive side. First player drafted under the first John Gruden regime, the second John Gruden regime. Big shoes to fill, though, of this player who retired right before the 2016 season from their secondary. This Heisman Trophy winner was drafted by John Gruden. (laughs) Charles Woodson. Yes, and... He, how, how much do you think the Raiders' defense, the, so much was made of the free agent additions they made in 2016. How much did the Raiders' defense miss him after he retired or before oh, the season? Massively. I mean, that, that that was huge. I mean, Charles Woodson, in addition to being very good on the football field, was a vocal leader on the back end. Like, he was a playmaker on the back end. And even in his old age, was dominant, you know, making plays and preventing big plays. Like, dude. It was huge. They did not have an answer at free safety. They did not have an answer at strong safety. Cornerbacks struggled. They lost a ton in losing Charles Woodson. And I think um, they're still to this day trying to find safeties or and cornerbacks that can play at a high level. Garyon Conley obviously traded this past year. Carl Joseph let go in free agency. You know, they added Jonathan Abram, who's more of a box safety. They think they have something in Eric Harris, but and it's, you know, it's going to be tough. Damon Arnett, the first round pick has got a big billing. Cause I mean, this Raiders defense has not had good, a good high end player in the secondary for years, multiple years, five plus years. And obviously it's something they want to address. Drew Brees then takes the Saints down the field, puts them ahead 34-27. I noticed that on the touchdown pass to Travaris Cadet, the Raiders have Bruce Irvin outside on Kobe Fleener, and Travaris Cadet is in the slot against Malcolm Smith. They get him on a rug route. How are the limitations of this defense exposed this day by the Saints? I mean, it was bad. It was bad tackling, and it was a ton of big plays. I mean, you look at the box score of this game. The Raiders' defense gave up, I believe, multiple gains of more than twenty yards. A ton, a ton of different gains for um, looking. I'm, I'm looking at the PFF right now, and you look at they've given. Uh, sorry, Sean Smith gave up 183 yards, catches of 49 yards, 98 yards, 25 yards. You look at uh, David yeah. Amerson, who was struggling in this game as well, gave up 40 yards on five receptions, no forcing completions. Like, you did not have a player in this game not struggling in coverage. Like, that's just plain and simple. Ben Heaney gave up two receptions of 20-plus yards. TJ Carey, two receptions for 22 yards, no forcing completions. Like, this was such a tough game for the – Raiders secondary, and it was, it was only going to get worse. Like Malcolm Smith, David Amerson, Keith McGill, DJ Hayden, TJ Carey, Ben Heaney, like all of these guys continued and continued to struggle. Like they could not, would not be able to stop the big play or simply tackle. I mean, it, it was very difficult to stop these receivers and limit the big play. I mean, when you give up nine receptions from nine targets for 172 yards to Willie Sneed, something is wrong. Catches for 10 plus yards every step of the way, like that is Again, this yeah. defense was exploited because it just didn't have the athleticism or the talent to stick with anybody. 
Sneed and Cooks combined for 20 targets for 315 yards. On the Raiders side, Cooper and Crabtree, 224 on 20 targets. The railing, they hit touchdown throw to Seth Roberts at the end. Go for two with Crabtree and hit it. How exhilarating was this final drive for you after years of losing and cap hell? Yeah, it was massive. I mean, this, uh, I remember, you know, thinking the tie being possible, you know, and then Jack Del Rio opting to go for two. It was, it was wild. And uh, I don't remember, I can't remember if I supported it or not. I think I was in complete 50 50 limbo just waiting to see the play, but I loved the call. I mean, Crabtree, so dominant in the red zone, so dominant, like disguising his push offs is the best yeah. way. I mean, this guy was very physical. You know, got called. I mean, you go back to some of those games with Crabtree, you know, got away with a lot of defensive pass interference, got called for a lot of them, too. But going it up, throwing it up to Crab, like that set the tone for the season. Like the Raiders thought they, they knew they could win games against good football teams on the road. And if you kick the field goal there and lose in overtime to the better team, the better team was winning that game before the two point conversion. I mean, look at these, you know, look at what Brandon Cook's. Willie Sneed and company were doing to this Raiders defense. If the Saints got the ball in overtime, this game was over, literally over. However, Raiders, knowing that, you know, and when you're not when you're not the better team, when you're playing on the road and you have an opportunity to go for two and win the football game, I think it's the right decision. And making the call to throw it up to Crab, uh, again, will go down as one of the better Raiders games of the recent era. Saints getting whatever they wanted. Sneed just finding finding the spot in the zone as he would on the final drive, but all, and also beating man coverage. I think he actually did both of those on the final drive, two long completions to Sneed, very edge of field goal range. Right before they attempt a 61-yarder, they try to get a little closer with an out to Fleener. Seemed to not totally be in sync. I think that was another debut that day with, with Fleener new to that squad. Saints kick the 61-yarder. Will Lutz's first game just misses it. Are you coming out of this game thinking the Raiders are a division contender? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, I think especially the, the defense was the biggest concern. And, but if you could put up 35 points and how electric Amari Cooper was, Jalen Richard, Michael Crabtree, Derek Carr, the offensive line, you could feel confident that this Raiders team was going to put up points. And you saw that with Derek Carr. Obviously, they had to squeak out a ton of wins with a ton of comeback wins. But you felt confident in the offense, finally. And offense, you know, even back then, was the priority. If you can put up points... You can win football games. Defense was going to always keep games close, but the offense was, if it could be as spectacular as it was in week one, you felt like there was a chance they could be a division contender. Yeah, and yeah, they, they went into the season with similar Vegas odds to the Chiefs, but you know a lot of people came out of this game feeling, okay, this is I've seen it now. This is legit. The Chiefs would keep the upper hand over the Raiders. You know, One in 10, the Raiders are against the Chiefs in their last 11. Chiefs would end up getting... The first round by uh, via a, a a sweep of the Raiders and that tiebreaker at 12 and four, which ends up pushing the Raiders to the wild card. But even more of a problem that week 16 fibula injury for Derek Carr. Did it feel like it was over at that point? It was over. I mean, it, that was Christmas Eve, and it, everyone everyone knew it was over. I mean, Connor Cook, Matt McGloin, regardless of who it was, it was not going to work. You know that the, the offense. Derek Carr led comebacks in eight of the wins, you know, in eight, seven, eight of the wins. Like it was not a team that was built to win with a backup quarterback like the Eagles were in the Super Bowl following that, you know, or multiple, you know, a couple of years after that. But the Eagles had one of the best defenses in the NFL. 
a great supporting cast around Nick Foles. The Raiders, good supporting cast offensively, but defensively, it was tough. And Connor Cook was not going to live up to the billing. Like, it was a crushing blow. And to go back to that Colts game, they were dominating the Colts. It was, it was, it was yeah. like, you see the quote with Mark Davis in the booth, like, why are we throwing the football? Because they were blowing them out when Derek Carr was hurt. It was the first sack Donald Penn had given up all year when Derek Carr got hurt and broke and, and broke his leg. That's how fluky that yeah. was. You saw that in, in the year, you know, the games after that, obviously the Raiders did not look as good. And you go into that Houston Texans game, Davion Clowney lights it up, Connor Cook unable to move the football and they win handedly. Especially painful because that, that's such a good offensive line that year. Donald Penn had such a, a good stretch there with the Raiders. And in this game, you see that offensive line dominate the Saints at that point. The Saints were really, uh, the announcers talked about how Sean Payton was really excited that they'd improved their linebackers in the offseason, adding some starters from other teams in Laronitis from the Rams and Robertson from the Browns. But then when the Raiders needed a play, they get the 75-yarder from Richard. And on that play, Hudson gets a hat on Laronitis. Assembly takes out Craig Robertson. It seemed like a Raiders team that could impose its will and protect Carr. Do you have more hope with the current state of the Raiders than you did heading into 2017? This year, I, I I did not have. I mean, there was definitely hope entering 2017. You know, Derek Carr healthy, a, a lot of the roster still intact. Like there was hope going into, the, into 2017. But entering this season, I I, I think the they, you know the roster and the quarterback play has been average to below average for so long, and they haven't made enough improvements necessarily on either side of the ball to warrant the consideration that they could be a division contender. And now, when you're playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's, it's, and Drew Locke, the hype train that is Drew Locke, but I won't throw him in there. But it's going to be hard to win the division, if not close to impossible. And to make a wild card and do some damage, like you, this defense has to play well above expectation. Derek Carr has to play well above expectation. You just haven't seen that level of play since, honestly, the Colts game in 2016. Like You have not seen the same Derek Carr since that game. Yeah, and Derek Carr, PFF grade of 85 in 2016 hasn't been in the 80s since but just like the last couple decades seems like all you can do is hope yeah I mean (laughs) I I think it's it's gonna be tough I mean I think Derek Carr all there is is up but at the same time like you have to think with the sample size we have now I mean he's been in the league since 2014 and played a decent sample size like with the sample size you have now you have to think that the actual Derek Carr, the Derek Carr to expect year after year is somewhere between the 2016 season and what we've seen in other years. And I think that's a quarterback that does not get aggressive with the football, doesn't active, you know, actively take advantage of clean pockets and, and get aggressive and struggles a bit under pressure, which is going to make things difficult. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes.